Blog Talk Radio. Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you back, hopefully, to Guys, Guys Radio. We have a great show for you this evening. It is podcast number 319. Our special guest is Catherine Jagetti. I hope I pronounced her name properly. She has a new book called Infinite Possibility, and it's all about the teachings of Neville Goddard and how you can integrate them into your day to day life. It's really fascinating. Um, Goddard, Goddard has a uh, really is a believer in uh, imagination and how God kind of uh, works through us via consciousness and imagination. And it's got some great exercises in it. It's a very digestible book. I sat down and read it in two days, two, two, two power sittings. I went through it, took a bunch of notes, really liked it. I've uh, already been practicing uh, using some of the exercises in it. And I think it's going to be something that you enjoy. And I think, uh, Catherine, she's a TV personality in the UK. And, uh, so, uh, you know, we've got a very articulate, uh, intelligent author who's visiting us. So that's going to be fantastic. So we'll bring her out when she calls in, in the interim, this is guys, guys, radio, the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. It all started with my novel, the guys, guys, guide to love. It's a rom-com. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. And from there, uh, the brand kind of took off, the Guys Guys brand, about being a being today's modern man and being a, a better version of the old school man's man, be a guy's guy, casual confidence, unassuming strength, seductive integrity, emotional intelligence, timeless style, and fun. That's what a guy's guy is all about. My website, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com, has got everything about guys, guys, and what we stand for, and over 320 blog posts on every topic you can imagine about love, life, and the pursuit of happiness. And as I evolved the brand, uh, because it started with a rom-com of all things, but it was about love. The underpinning of the book is about love, and you can still pick it up on Amazon, any of the e-tailers, and it's still in some bookstores. And it's a fun book, and you can see, you can check out the ratings on Amazon. It's all five stars, so I'm very proud of that, and I'm glad people like it. And the book still sells. Uh, I just got my month, my quarterly statement from my publisher, and yes, I'm going to get a check. So that's great. But I could use your support and welcome your support. And then I started Guys Guys Radio, and uh, we began interviewing a lot of relationship experts because one of the reasons I wrote the book was because there's a a great chasm of communication between men and women when I wrote the book. And that was my inspiration for writing it. And now, you know, since my inspiration became a book, became a website, became a blog, became the radio show, I think the chasm's even deeper and further away. Yet, I think there's hope because I think that if women really look into what men are all about, they're not that bad. I think the men's bad behavior, particularly that of men in power, is coming to uh, 
the surface so people can see it. We can see how men deal with that. There's good men out there who have not been doing bad things with women. There's a lot of guys who have been. And men today, guys, guys, can benefit because there's never been a better time to be alive if you're a good guy, if you're a guy's guy. And even if you're a guy's guy or not, you need to listen because we need to listen to the ladies now. And this is a time where you see what's happening in the news and everything. It's the, the old boys network is desperately trying to hang on. You see it in Congress. You see these old guys, these old white guys hanging together and just putting a lot of programs through. I don't know what your politics are, but um, I think uh, I'm about making sure that uh, we take care of everybody and we don't leave people behind and that we don't do things from a zero sum perspective. The, our election was in 2016 was very close. And that doesn't mean that because you win by a couple of votes, then you get your way with everything. It's just, you know, you just run away with everything. It should be, Hey, half the country really disagrees with, uh, with us, we should really find a way to represent everybody's perspective. But unfortunately, that's not how politics is working right now in this country. But there's always hope. And I think once we get more women into the positions in Congress and the Senate, there'll be a better dialogue. And uh, some of these old guys, uh, you know, need to fade away. And, uh, and I, think, I, think, I think it's going to happen. And I think we have a bright future. Uh, interesting, the teachings of Neville Goddard are all about bright futures and our creating them. You know, I was write, writing my notes for tonight, things I want to talk about, and most of them were negative. And I'm like, wow, I'm doing exactly what Goddard says he shouldn't be doing. I'm spending psychic energy, I'm investing psychic energy in all things I don't want instead of things I want. I need to really clear the deck and talk about things I want. So I'm doing my best to put a positive spin on everything that's out there that's happening right now. What I've read today in uh, the uh, papers about flu season now, flu season is a hot thing where, uh, you know, do you need a flu shot or not? I personally, I've never had a flu shot and I don't plan on getting one. I just think it's a crapshoot personally. A lot of people get one every year. They feel very comfortable with that. That's fine. You have to make your own decision on that. Um, and you don't want to get the flu. Um, I don't think, I don't like these mandatory, you have to get flu shots and stuff like that. It's just... And certain companies, I think, are instituting that. I, I think people should have their, you know, the freedom to make a choice on that. Um, what do you think? Uh, Halloween's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, I have a five-year-old. He, we're working on a costume. He wanted to be, he was a bunny rabbit last year. This year, he wants to be a rabbit, like more of like a hare, I guess you'd call him. So we're working on something in that aspect. Uh, there's a lot of kids in the building I live in in New York. I'm up here in uh, West Harlem, um, Frederick Douglass Boulevard, and it's a great area, and uh, lots of kids in the neighborhood, lots of kids in the building, and it's a lot of fun when they trick-or-treat, so that's in two weeks from now. Um, what else? I haven't seen any Christmas ads or Christmas sales things or Christmas lights or anything yet. I was just wondering, like, wow, it's October 15th. I'm wondering when they're going to bust that stuff out, probably pretty soon, so uh, let's keep each other posted on that. Um, I'm going to avoid all that other stuff in the news about cutting money for social security and the, the whole Saudi thing with the, this killing this journalist, because I want to f focus on some of the positive things. Um, so let's talk about one other thing and then we'll take a break and bring our special guest out, Catherine Jigetti, 
and to talk about her book, Infinite Possibility. And again, I hope I pronounced her name properly. Um, the marathon's coming up. And the cool thing about the New York City Marathon, and any marathon for that matter, is this is the one chance that everyday person has of being, uh, knowing what it feels like to compete at an elite level. Running 26.2 miles is elite. And not every, everybody does it. I believe anybody can do it with proper training, but not everybody wants to do it or is compelled to do it or does it. But you have a lot better chance of running a marathon than you do of being the quarterback for the New England Patriots. And if you've ever wanted to experience what it's like to have all that adulation while you're competing in a sporting event and while you're actually doing something in a sporting event that other people aren't doing because what they, they did decided they want to watch instead of participate, you can participate in this event at an elite level. I had a lot of things in my life uh, shifted when I, after I ran my first marathon, I've run three. Um, I got in better shape for each marathon and uh, my times went down, but my last marathon, I kind of bonked. I ran out too soon. And after that, my body was telling me during the race, don't do this. You don't need to do this anymore after this one. So I listened to it. That was 10 years ago. So I stopped running marathons yet. I still run. I run around Central Park, 6.2 miles, all hills every week. I run down the Jersey Shore on the boardwalk, 9, 10 miles. I've been doing it for years and years and years. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the keys is just uh, listening to your body. If you want to have a you want to be able to run the marathon very quickly, what happens is you do so much training. And if you train properly, you're going to basically run the marathon before the marathon. <clears throat> You'll run 20 miles twice if you do the by the book training. And um, you also will have some tweaks here and there, injuries, and you have to know how to manage them. Know when to take a break, know when not to take too long of a break, and know when to back out if you have to, if there's something uh, in, with your skeletal system that's preventing you from, the, from competing. But uh, it takes uh, three months or so uh, for most people to train. I, what I did was the year before the, marath the first marathon I ran in, I was listening to the marathon on the radio, and I said, I'm going to run the marathon next year. And I started training then. So I gave myself an entire year to build my base. And it was a great – I'm really glad I did that because when I did the marathon, I wasn't – you know, I was a little sore after and all of that. And it was, I didn't know what to expect. And, but it was fantastic. And I, I enjoyed it so much and I'll never forget it. And I wrote about it. It's, I wrote about it on my blog and uh, I've got some other things coming about marathons. But again, it's the one opportunity that you have. If you're just an everyday person, you want to see what it feels like to be LeBron James for a day, run a marathon, train and run for the mar run the marathon. Uh, my only advice to people when they, they ask me, what, what do I need to know about a marathon training? It's long. The race is long. I suggest take your time. Get out slow. Take your time. You got 26 miles to sort it out. If you go out too fast, you're going to be in trouble. And then, then you're out there. Much better to take your time. You can always pick up. And really, the time doesn't matter with your first marathon. You just, just, you just want to complete it. And, uh, and you want to keep running the whole time. You don't want to run, walk, or walk, or whatever. You just, it's, if, you, you, if you're in good shape, and there's nothing wrong with you structurally, you should be able to just run, run the marathon, just run it. And it's a huge accomplishment and you'll, you'll have a notch that, uh, you know, nobody can ever take away from you. So if you get the opportunity and you're motivated, do it, read my blogs on marathon running and, um, and best of luck to you. So anyhow, I, I like to go out and watch now at New York city marathon and laugh because I know what it's like when they're 
running through the park and coming back up the hill at the end of the race. And uh, now it's so much more crowded. When I ran, it was about, I don't know, 10,000 people, 20,000 people. Now it's like 30, 40,000 people. It's crazy. It's wall to wall um, for 26 miles. You have no, you have no area during the race where it's like this a spread between people. You're bunched up pretty much for the entire race. And that's wow. Through five boroughs of New York. Anyhow, enough about that. We're going to bring our special guest out in a moment, but let's first take a break. This is Guys Guys Radio. You're listening to the Guys Guys Radio. All right, well, we're back, and uh, this is Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. We've got a special guest, Catherine Jugetti. Uh, as I mentioned, she's a British television presenter, author with a background in science. She was first introduced to metaphysics as a teenager by her mom, a former yoga teacher and educational specialist. Um, she developed a penetrating, enduring fondness for the self-empowering teachings of Neville Goddard, and she remains as steadfastly devoted to spreading his message today. Um, she's got an incredible background. She's worked with BBC Science Unit, BBC Radio Oxford, served as a news editor in the International Journal of African Health, and she's been published internationally acclaimed sci- in the acclaimed science journal Nature, and she's also presented two science series aimed at young adults for Channel 4 in the UK, earning a BAFTA nomination. She lives in London, and we're welcoming her to Guys Guys Radio. Let me bring her on the show right now. Good evening, Catherine, and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Hi, Robert. It's great to be with you. Well, thanks so much for being here. Um, I'm a big fan of Goddard and a big fan of your book, and also a big fan of Paul Selig, who wrote a little blurb on, on, front of, on the back of your book, um, he's been on our show uh, three times. He's coming on for his new book, and I've attended some of his workshops and know him, and he's, uh, he's fantastic. So, I'm so I was so pleased to see his name uh, with your book because uh, your teaching is right in line with a lot of the things that he channels. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about uh, Goddard first. What, what is it about who, – who is Neville for our, for our listeners – what, what we do here on Guys Guys Radio, we're bringing the people who are seeking. They want to learn more. The day-to-day person, they're just working their jobs. They, they know that there's more to life. I, what I do is bring them guests who can show them something new, something to think about. So let's start with, and I'm going to assume that some people might not know who Neville Goddard is. So why don't we start with who he is and why he's important? Okay, so he's a really phenomenal person in that, on the one hand, he's an ordinary human being. He often said in lectures, I am as normal as any of you in this room in front of me. And yet he lived this really phenomenal life in that when he was a young child, a prophet on the island of Barbados where he was born, told him Mm -hmm. that he was going to have this powerful ministry in the world. Now, um, he's of English heritage, English, Irish and Scottish heritage. And I know sometimes people get nervous when they think about Europeans and the Caribbean, but they weren't that sort of colonial family set up. They were very much a part of the community, a family of modest means, a large family, 10 children, and um, just people who were really beloved by uh, people in Barbados. And they went on to do great work in Barbados in terms of their, um, their industry that their family brought to the island. Um, when Neville was a teenager, he set sail for New York and he wanted to be a dancer and an actor, and he had some success on the stage, but it didn't satisfy this hunger he had in him. So later on, in his 20s, 
he met an Ethiopian rabbi by the name of Abdullah. Now, some people do contest the existence of Abdullah, but that's not what we're talking about today. Neville talks about mm-hmm. his relationship with Abdullah, who taught him the Kabbalah and esoteric mysticism and the occult and all of that, and taught him the true meaning of the Bible. So it's that it's not this religious text that we've been taught um, that it is, but actually it is this profound psychological document that speaks about the evolution of the soul of man. And so Neville went about his daily business. He was very social. He did all, you know, parties and, and mingled with people from all walks of life. Um, a lot of it with people of high society because they were very, very curious about the fact that this man didn't have what they had necessarily but yet he seems so much more grounded than they. And this is what I love about Neville personally, is that we um, think that life is is fairly um, inevitable in many respects. You know, you're born, you live, you die, and all of that. And right. all the stuff Taxes. goes on in between. <laughs> but he's saying that actually we need to reposition ourselves as students of this higher power, that we are here and we cycle over and over again. And in each iteration, we are mandated something else to, for, to be fulfilled in our lives. And what I love about his philosophy is that not only is it immensely practical, what he's saying to us is that if we position ourselves as students in a schoolroom, we take on a whole new understanding about what life is all about, how it functions. We're able to relate to each other differently as human beings, but most importantly, we remember who it is we authentically are, and that is people of consciousness And he also speaks about the human imagination being God, by which he means God, again, not a religious concept per se, but rather the source creation of everything that is. And we are a part of that. We are an emanation of that source creation, but we have an individualized purpose. Okay, so if we're we're part of God, then we can use uh, we can leverage that God power that we have to to create through a consciousness things that we want. Everybody in society now is obsessed with, you know, they want to manifest and a lot of people mm-hmm. are not succeeding in their manifesting yet. It seems like Goddard has a, has a, a really, I don't want, maybe it is a foolproof system for doing that because he claims, correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine, that uh, anything that you imagine that you want to do or want to be or become it already exists. So you're, you're just, you go through some exercises and what you're doing is, um, you're you're seeding it out there in consciousness, and then it, then it has to happen if you keep your focus on that and and eliminate uh, negative negative thoughts. You you control your imagine. It's a controlled imagination. Is that true? That's absolutely correct. He refers to it as the the conscious use of imagination. And the thing with people not being able to manifest the things they want, what Neville Goddard teaches us is that people are trying to bring things into their world as though these things are separate from themselves. But what he's teaching you to do through his exercises is to actually step outside of the confines of our humanity and then to function as source creation. So in consciousness, we have no shape, size, color, gender, and all the rest of it. We are just energy, which is infinite. And what we Mm -hmm. actually do is take on a shape. So the thing you're trying to manifest you have to recognize that it actually is a part of this great soup, cosmic soup, if you like, and that mm-hmm. your intention gives it shape. It gives it, it gives it form, and through that, it's able to show up in its physical form in your world. Yeah, and I'll, I'll think an, another thing that a lot of people do that tricks, trips them up, and correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine, is that when they're, when they're focused on manifesting, they are very uh, a little bit too controlling about specific 
and maybe I'm wrong here, but specific outcomes where uh, at a certain point, it seems like you have to let things go um, and let the universe kind of do its thing for you. Um, I know, according to Goddard, that we, you know, we have to visualize everything right through the feelings and sensations and the senses. Yet, um, talk to us a little bit about um, that, that important aspect and how we manage that, that thing we're letting go where I think uh, a lot of people are too focused on creating a specific outcome to the point where maybe they create some obstacles to manifesting what they're intending. Sure. So in the, in the esoteric world of metaphysics, we say that logic and reason are the enemies of faith. And faith is the motivating factor here that's going to make this process work for you. What happens with many people is that they get involved with how this thing is going to show up. And then they try to influence it. So it becomes a force right. of will. It becomes a, okay, it's going to happen like this because these are the parameters that I've said, or this is what I recognize as possible for me and so on. And what we are actually teaching people is that feeling is a language in and of itself but because a feeling seems so vague to so many they just have um, they, they lack the confidence to trust their feelings and to allow their feelings to work for them in the way that it's intended to work and this is what happens but what we are teaching what I'm, I'm teaching through the exercises in the book and, and when I'm speaking about it is that what I'm training people to do is to learn how to trust their feeling and through trusting your feeling you're actually developing your feeling vocabulary if you like and you're then sending the correct messages to the unseen and telling it what shape to take and and how to work but this is the thing that people find difficult to understand that how does that work and I give them guidance about how it works when you're Mm -hmm. in a sense of relaxation and feeling after the thing that you you think you want and recognizing that it's actually not something you want but something you already possess now that is a very specific feeling when you know that something is yours it feels very different to you than when you want it. And what happens is that people think that they can want the things they want hard enough to bring them into their world when actually they're actually stopping the thing from coming into their world. Because they're creating want instead of um, being, I guess, right? Absolutely. And want implies separation. And so as long as it's there, mm-hmm. you can never have what you, what you truly desire. Okay. A little bit about uh, you, Catherine. Um, uh, what, what was your... Uh, you know, you really connected with Neville Goddard. Why and uh, what was the inspiration to say, hey, I have to do a book about him and get this, get his word out there? I, mean, I'm, I, I get asked this question such a lot. I um, grew up hearing, um, uh, listening to metaphysical authors. So as kids, right, my mum would always read to us in the evening when we were very small. So I said this time and time again. We had all the classical children's stories in our library at home, but we also had metaphysical authors. So by the time um, I got to sort of understand a bit better what my mother was reading to us, um, it was very, very normal for me. What I loved about Neville um, was the way the book made me feel. So even though I had grown up in a, an, in a Christian, predominantly Christian way, um, when Neville was talking about the fact that the Bible was not an historical document, that the characters were allegorical and they were about the psychology of the soul of man, I found that a little bit offensive, but I couldn't shake off the way his words made me feel. It was so intimate. It was so personal. And it felt true, even though I hadn't proven it at that point to be true. And so I felt a challenge. I thought, right, all he's saying is just try, try it. Just test what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and see it for yourself. He's not asking us to accept what he's saying or take it at face value. And so I thought, okay, I have to, because of how 
is words made me feel. And I can't quite put that into words. I felt, okay, what harm is there in trying it? When I tried it, I couldn't believe the responses that I was getting physically. And, and that's where it really began. Got it. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the, the Bible because uh, people sometimes get all hung up on this. I actually take a spiritual uh, unfoldment class and my teacher says the Bible is as a metaphysical text, just so you know. So I was reading it to her last night during the, uh, our, our, uh, our weekly meeting, uh, some of you, the book, and she said, amen, when I finished. And that was about some of what you wrote on page 28 about um, the crucifixion and, uh, and uh, on 27 about Christ. Uh, you say, the fact is Christ is not a man. There is ne- never w- was there was never a being that existed called Christ or Jesus Christ. The one talked about in the Bible who takes our infirmities and bears our diseases is your own human imagination, which is God himself. Now, some people are going to get kind of hung up on uh, that or confused because, and I did, that's one thing out of the whole book. I said, well, Jesus was a man and Jesus, was, you know, the Christ consciousness is different than Jesus. And, um, according to text, he was crucified. Now, some people believe he was who, and some people who are Christian, um, don't they? They feel that uh, some other things may have may have happened. So, uh, do you acknowledge that there was a person named Jesus that is uh, that we base the Christian teachings on, and he was connected to the Christ consciousness, which is which is um, as you described, uh, Christ is our awareness of being, not a man. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's very important uh, for, for people to understand. I do respect Robert that people. Um, are steeped in culture and they've been brought up in a particular way and they've been led to believe things to be true. But what I know, I know by experience and revelation. So what I um, would urge people to do is not to be uh, hung up on that, but just to Mm -hmm. proceed with what I'm telling them because they will come to the same conclusions. I am very, very confident of that. So I'm saying, no, Jesus was not a man. Jesus is a blueprint. Um, Jesus is a, a complete uh, being that we step into, or if you say a prototype for us to step into, but not a human being like you and I. Um, so uh, the, the purpose of Jesus is understanding what it looks like to be absolute love and to be absolutely fearless as we walk the earth. And so mm-hmm. it's couched that way. It's The character of Jesus was written to give us guidance as to what is possible for us as human beings and what lessons we are supposed to learn. So just to answer your question, um, no, Jesus absolutely was not a human being like you or I, but the character in the Bible has been written to demonstrate what we are striving to become. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we weren't around back then, and the Bible was written uh, hundreds of years after Jesus, and I'll put him in quotes, was uh, supposedly around. Um, but most people consider that there was a person and then the discussion mm-hmm. seems to be about um, a person versus a character versus was he, uh, who was he actually? Was he an ascended master? And um, he was, was like, like Muhammad was a human being, and most people consider Jesus to be a human being. So do you consider, was Muhammad a human being? I mean, I'm not a religious scholar, and okay. um, I have never looked into the history of, of um, Muhammadism or Islam or whatever I've not looked into any of that, so I don't want to comment on it. Um, or the Buddha. The devil says it's very... Mm. Say again? Or even the Buddha, like so, these ascended masters, were they, you know, because a lot of people 
consider Jesus as an ascended master and, and all mm-hmm. of the ascended masters, Buddha, Muhammad, whatever, are all part of this overall consciousness, what you could say in quotes, the Christ consciousness, which is um, God not being man, but God becoming man and, and God experiencing himself through man. I, I mean, I, I, I accept all of that, that what people are saying is again, you know, I'm not a religious scholar. And mm-hmm. um, what the thing that uh, I would want, I would urge people to understand is that uh, Judeo Christianity, as we understand it, is not a religion like other religions. So it may well be possible that religions, as we understand them to be, are based on characters who lived at some point in time. But what we uh, understand is that Christianity, true Christianity, is purely mystical and it is purely metaphysic. And it's something that you come to understand as an individual through revelation. So I would never engage in any sort of argument or try to persuade anyone okay. to believe as mm-hmm. I do. But what I would say oh. is that people will come to make their own uh, determinations through experience. Okay. I just felt it was important to uh, ask that and follow up just mm-hmm. for people, our listeners, and also people reading the book, because you could get thrown a little curveball there. They say like, hmm, I didn't, <laughs> you know, you know, that's a, that's a new one. Because most people, even if they don't believe he was, um, the, the, everything that uh, it's most people and Christians believe in that they mm-hmm. most people believe that he was a, a human, a person. There was a guy named Jesus. Mm. So that's where yeah. I got a little tripped up. So anyhow, okay, well let's let's move on. The importance of uh, I am, um, and a lot of people get hung up with that. In the in the Old Testament, God tells um, I'm not sure if it was Moses, whoever, but he says uh, my name is like I am, and uh, I am or two powerful words and whatever you put after that uh, is important because you're, you're creating Uh, talk to us about the whole idea of metaphysics and the importance of I am and um, how it, how it uh, plays out in day to day living in today's culture. Okay. So in terms of uh, manifesting, most people believe that manifesting is bringing something into your world, something physical into your world. But what mm-hmm. manifesting is, the process of manifesting is an acknowledgement of your awareness. So you're giving it shape. And the authority that you are given is in the words, I am. You first recognize yourself to be whatever it is you're trying to manifest. And that's what metaphysics is all about, that authority. The thing to um, understand mm-hmm. about that is not only that you're adopting that awareness, but you're only given the present moment in which to make that thing happen for yourself. So I am is said in the present tense, you are declaring yourself to be. And so when we say I am, we don't repeat it as Neville said in parrot fashion, I am rich, I am beautiful, I am healthy, but it's actually spoken feelingly. And so when we say the word I am under the the correct uh, conditions, physical conditions, that's to say we've immobilized the physical body and we shut out the physical world by shutting out our eyes, by closing our eyes, sorry, we are then... Um, operating as source creator we're operating as God we're operating as consciousness and Mm -hmm. when we are able to say I am in that condition then we are going to see the things we want come into our world because we are speaking it into being or declaring it into being um, authoritatively okay great Um, the two notions here thinking uh, of versus thinking from how important it is to think of versus thinking from, and then also seeing the world from the space you want to occupy. It seems like those are two key tenets that I, I pulled out of the book um, that are so important that a lot of people, I think, uh, who are uh, attempting to make things happen are getting tripped up on. 
could you talk to us about those two ideas, thinking of versus thinking from and seeing the world from the space you want to occupy? Okay, so this is what the, the, the premise of the training, because most of us, when we desire something, so let's choose something fairly um, innocuous like a, a car, like I want a car. Mm-hmm. If you say you want a car, you're thinking of that car. When you're thinking from the car, you literally are behind the wheel driving or doing whatever it. it is you're doing in that mm-hmm. car. And so it is a, a subtle difference. But it's a very important one because if you think of something, you're never really going to have it. You're recognizing it that it's still separate from you. When you think from, you are operating from the perspective that this thing is already yours and this is how manifestation works. We spoke just a moment ago about the I am declaration. When you Mm -hmm. are consciously aware of being, it could be being something, being in possession of something, or being somewhere, it could be anything, but it's the being, the I am, that's all important, then the manifestation is going to work. At the point of conviction, at the point that you are absolutely persuaded that you are, you are doing, having, or being whatever it is you desire, the thing is going to take on physical form in your world. And so I say to people, think of it this way, you're not looking at an actor on screen, but you are the actor in the scene. So rather than sort of watching something happen, you are performing that thing. And it's a, it is entirely possible to discipline yourself to treat your desires in that way. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of the exercises in the book. Because one of the things I love about your book is uh, each, each chapter has exercises within it. And they're pretty simple. And um, one of them uh, has to do with, let's just pick one out here, dealing with uh, changing the past. So, uh, you know, when before we move forward to create some things, um, sometimes it's cool to change the past. So you want to you want to talk about a couple of the exercises and maybe maybe you do it in the steps that need to be taken. Kind of like what are the first three steps people need to do and an exercise that goes with that to kind of get the ball rolling. Okay, so let's talk. um, I'll give two examples, one for someone who's completely unfamiliar with this work. And then one for people who may be familiar with it and we look at something like the power of revision. So the first thing to do is to reacquaint yourself with yourself, by which I mean to recognize the sovereignty of your consciousness being or your source creator being. And what you want to do is to relax yourself. Now, people may have their own method for getting into a state of relaxation. If you Mm -hmm. don't, I give a very pretty straightforward one. You want to be comfortable. You want to be relaxed, not distracted too much. And breathing deeply until you feel yourself slipping into a sort of a drowsy state, but not so deep that you'll fall asleep and can't control the direction of your attention. And that's called the hypnagogic state, state, which is very well documented. You can read about that online. And that's the mm-hmm. optimum state for creation because for being creative, because you're not um, fettered by what's going on in the world around you. So in that state, that state of deep relaxation, you can actually start to acquaint yourself with your higher being by just asking questions, some questions might be uh, too difficult. So you might say something like, are you really God? Is it really true? And see how you feel. Or you could just allow yourself to notice how you feel internally and just send your, your attention out in different directions and notice what responses your physical body gets as you do that. And what you're doing actually is exercising this being that is that was born, that you were born as, rather. 
and Mm -hmm. that you have not really given much uh, attention to for one reason or another. We're all like that. Neville says we completely forget who we are just through the rigors of day-to-day life. And so just by familiarizing yourself with your being, what you want to then do is start to exercise your subjective senses. So if you think we have the five, five physical senses of sight, taste, touch, seeing and hearing, we have those senses uh, spiritually as well. And it's engaging those senses that is all important to the thinking from that we were speaking about just a moment before. So what you want to do is start to do things like try to smell things in your mind, you know, try to Mm -hmm. hear something in your mind, try to taste something and so on. And that's a really good way of getting the ball rolling. And then you could do something very, very simple to challenge yourself, perhaps see yourself having a cup of coffee or something like that and then see if somebody brings you a cup of coffee those very very simple exercises just to get that uh, line of communication open and then i go on to talk about different things that you can do okay for someone who's familiar with this work already uh, revision is a very very powerful tool neville says that if we do not erase um, what we consider to be the mistakes of the past which is really our learning we cannot be free of the effect of it. So the effects might be shame, remorse, regret, but those mm-hmm. things keep us stuck. So what, you, what the premise of revision is, is that all of our experiences are uh, rooted in imagination. They are all imagined experiences. And so we can go back to an event that causes us pain or trauma. It could be as serious and significant as the loss of a loved one. Um, sometimes people find they cannot recover from that sort of trauma in life. And what you can do, you're not going to say that the person didn't die. Of course, they're no longer physically with us. But you can completely revise your response to the passing of that loved one. And that will help you in the present to move beyond that. You could go back to a decision that you made that was significant, perhaps um, an error that you made uh, financially or something like that, and see yourself doing what you would rather have done, things that you would have been more beneficial to you instead, what that will do is bring your present into alignment with a life in which you had always made good decisions. And you will find that if you're stuck, let's say with money, for instance, that that will be cleared out of the way and your finances will uh, be much better than they were before, probably even miraculously transformed. Now, you also have mentioned in the book about dealing with other people, and you mentioned somebody who's, who's passed over, but people that you deal with in day-to-day life who maybe uh, rub you the wrong way or have been obstacles for you or uh, whatever, who have done you a bad deed, um, have made a bad turn with you. So how, how, how can you can use this process to also change through visualization and imagination um, how you interact with them, Correct. Yes, I mean, that's entirely possible. We can, there's, you know, there's infinite applications for this philosophy. Um, the great thing about it is you can allow yourself to forgive. Now, if you cannot see yourself in your waking life forgiving someone who's done you wrong, there is no harm in you doing that in your imagination. And what you will find is that it will dissolve any friction that exists between yourself and that person, or even with other people. So if you find that it's something that's too difficult for you to do um, in the flesh, so to speak, you can absolutely do it in imagination. See yourself having a conversation with them that's completely fine. See yourself relating to them, um, being completely neutral, or even being happy to see them. The sky really is the limit. As long as you reach that point, 
that you are persuaded that this is absolutely the truth for you, you will see it yes. played out in your physical world. I just wanted to add, Robert, sometimes people are in difficult situations, difficult relationships and things like that. Right. They don't know how they're going to get away from someone. Um, they may mm -hmm. be afraid. It could be for cultural reasons, whatever the reason might be. You don't need to confront that person. You can actually do all of this in imagination and watch the doors really fly open for you and you're suddenly free of something that you thought was impossible for you to be free from. Mm -hmm. You mentioned another, one of the exercises in the book I, I actually did last night. Um, uh, it was about, I was imagining before I went to sleep, I imagined the situation and the circumstances I wanted to be in and went through every detail that I could conjure up. And then I passed, I passed out. Basically I was so tired. Um, how often uh, did I do that correctly? And how often does somebody need to do that? I mean, should I be doing that every night before I go to sleep? Should I put myself in, in this world that I'm creating that I'm, that I'm looking forward to feeling it that I'm there now and then go to sleep, moving everything else out of the way. And, and also as part of that, this notion of moving things out of the way throughout the day, any psychic energy you put into negative things or things that are not, um, focused on what you, the world you want to live in and your circumstances actually kind of gets in the way and is extraneous, if you will. Sorry, mm -hmm. it's a kind of a two-pronged question there, Catherine. Th that's fine. I'll, I'll answer the, the latter part second. But first, I'll address the how often should you do something. It really is okay. a personal thing. So we talked about this feeling of conviction that something is done. If you think about um, the sex act, and I'm sure people will find, me, find it offensive me talking about that, but when a person is engaged in, in the sex act, there reaches a point of, of climax. And actually, you receive that same confirmation spiritually when something is done and it no longer needs any effort or attention from you. So Neville says that after performing the sex act, when we are physically spent, spiritually, we are the same way when we perform a metaphysical prayer and we receive the answer. We have no desire to, to do it again at the point that it's, completely resolved and that's very different different from actually saying oh i give up or i can't be bothered with this anymore it's actually a very pleasurable feeling you feel oh that was wonderful and this is done and you don't you you just get on with your life and and that takes care of itself um in terms of um uh, whether you were you saying how, how often you <laughs> sorry you were asking how often you should do it that's that's fine yes. in terms of moving things out of the way good i remember right. now um if you have done something throughout, throughout the course of your day that you're not very happy with, you can use revision again to change that as you're going to sleep. So just go back to the scene, whatever it was, bring up all the detail that you can remember, and just do the thing that you, would, you wish you had done then. And again, it's mm -hmm. reaching that point of conviction, that, that point of absolute persuasion that this is what really happened. So if you think about it, we cannot think about things that don't exist we just became aware of something in place of another thing. And so what we're going to do is change our attention from the thing we didn't want and put it on the thing we did want. And for us as conscious beings, once we are persuaded that the thing we wanted is real, it is just as real as the event that took place in the physical. There is no difference mm -hmm. between those two events. So you absolutely okay. can change things that have gone wrong in the course of the day. Okay, it's interesting that uh, with that uh, you, I want to talk about the psychic sexual act and the climax there, because uh, that's one of the exercises that comes even before you know imagining what you want, being where, um, being in the from uh, of versus from when you're you know going to go to sleep at night. Um, 
so uh, what I was going to say is, okay, sorry, lost my train of thought because I'm so into this. Uh, forgive me. Um, I, I had this really challenging issue for the past month, ordering a new washer and dryer. I could write a Will Farrell, a movie for Will Farrell to star in. Uh, <laughs> called retail or something. It was uh, unbelievable. Everything that could go wrong went wrong and kept going wrong and kept going wrong. And finally, yesterday, uh, they sent these two older guys who came and installed my washer dryer and boom. And I just knew at a certain point, it just, it's, I know it's, there's no problems with this anymore. Before they even got there, I just was like, it's done. And that was the same feeling. It seems like that you talk about with this, psychic sexual act. Now, what you described, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that when, when we're uh, at the point of uh, thinking of and uh, versus thinking from, um, we, one of the exercises is to kind of breathe in and out and almost get into like a mental, uh, psychological, conscious-driven sexual act concerning the thing you want to have to occur and to be immersed in, and you will actually have almost a, what you call like a psychic orgasm it's not sexual mm-hmm. but it's that same feeling so mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about that because it seems like that's a big key i have not done that that exercise yet because i want to put a little time aside to do that but could you talk about uh that because it seems like that's a really important component of uh putting making the, like uh, jump starting this whole process sure i mean one of the things that's incredibly powerful about neville's philosophy is the fact that it's immensely practical and that our body can give us the evidence or give us the confirmation that what we're doing has really worked. And this is for, uh, as the way Neville describes it in his teaching, is the clearest message that we'll ever get that the thing we desire is about to show up for us when we reach Mm -hmm. that point of climax. So he says that when we think about source creator and creativity, we're not just talking about, you know, a plethora of wonderful ideas. We're saying that this power is generative. And what it is is that it's a consummation between the source of all that is and and we, as emanations of that source, we have to consummate. We have to come to an agreement that something is so. So if if you think about this cosmic soup, as I talked about it, this formless infiniteness, Mm -hmm out of which all things emerge, we as individualized human beings have to come to an agreement so we consummate that, that relationship. We say, yes, this thing exists, whatever it may be. And we do in that state, when we're thinking about having the thing we want already, we will feel that sense of, of pleasure, that sense of joy, that excitement, and it builds and it builds. And at the point of explosion, as Neville calls it, well, we can say at the point of climax, what we are being told physically is that it is done. You have nothing else to worry about. And we will absolutely know we're left on the other side of that process with no doubt in our mind that the mm-hmm. thing we want is, want is done. Now, I'm so familiar with this now that it, it's just second nature to me. But what mm-hmm. I'm encouraging people to do is to work with this because you can sort of shy away from that a little bit. And it takes a long time for the thing you want to show up. And you go through so much unnecessary um, suffering or whatever it might be, frustration, delay, and you can have what you want almost instantaneously or sometimes instantaneously if you engage it. So this is about this power working in its purest form as um, a generative source of energy. Okay, fantastic. Um, Our special guest is Catherine Jagetti. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, you 
Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> How to use the ideas of Neville Goddard to create the life you want, infinite possibility. So um, before I let you go, could you just, uh, for our listeners, give them a couple of tips. In the day-to-day, you know, most people uh, have their lives are Xerox copies day by day. They get up, they go to work, they come home, they're tired, they watch TV, they see Donald Trump on TV, and they, they, they get discouraged and they go to sleep or they say, yay, uh, so what can uh, what can folks do to uh, kind of on, during their day if they can't pull aside and do some of these I call it some type of meditations, what can they do while they're commuting or walking home or on their break or at the end of the day? A couple of quick tips for them. Okay, so just get excited. Start to get excited about the fact that you were born with the, as the source creator. You might be an individual. You know yourself to be John, Mary, whoever it might be, but mm-hmm. you are this source creator. So what you want to start to do is to play with your subjective or your spiritual senses. So just play with smelling things and, and tasting things and touching things. And then play with the idea that you know what's going to happen wherever you're going. So as you're on your way to work, for example, you can start to influence what's going to happen in the office or wherever it is that you go to work. Um, perhaps you, someone's going to say something to you. You can actually start to imagine the person saying a phrase to you. Just start to exercise this power. You don't have to start small. You can start big and be amazed at the sorts of feedback that you're getting back from that. And just those things which are happening while your day is going on is actually strengthening the line of communication between who you are and your infinite source being. And just be open to all sorts of ideas, um, have confidence, and it's very, very important not to judge yourself. So another thing that people can start to do is drop judgment. Reposition yourself as mm-hmm. a student in the schoolroom of life and, and just recognize that all you're going through is mandated for you it's there to teach you something and just enjoy being you start to celebrate yourself got it one one last question i'm sorry because i want to ask this earlier uh, the importance of not telling anybody else about what you're uh thinking of oh yes it, it's really crucial that we keep our desires a secret for a couple of reasons. When you keep it contained, you intensify the energy that you're giving to this, to the manifestation itself. But also if you speak, what often happens is that people will um, echo back to you any doubts you have. And if you start to doubt, it will be a destabilizing force in the process. So yeah, just absolutely keep quiet about what it is you're trying to do. Got it. Okay. All right. The book is, Infinite Possibility, How to Use the Ideas of Neville Goddard to Create the Life You Want, Catherine Jagetti. Amazing work. I'm keeping this book on hand. I'm going to work with it. And uh, I really love the fact that you did this. We, have you, you know, I mentioned Paul Selig before, and he's, uh, he's well known for his channeling. And uh, do you do any, you seem pretty tapped in. Have you gotten any type of um, guidance on this from uh, any guides out there? Oh, uh, in terms of the book itself? Well, in terms of your, your, your life and then actually, you know, writing the book, et cetera. Oh, right. Yeah. So I like to go into conversation with what I call the divine community. So everything okay. that I do is inspired. These aren't, are not my ideas, but they are, or let's just say, Robert, that I love being a contemporary example of this philosophy. So I talk about what I know. I don't touch on things that I don't know. And so, and I'm completely open to learning more and more and more. 
but I am completely in tune with the divine community, those who have been given the task of observing us doing the work that we're doing as human beings, the entire global community. Got it. Fantastic. And you're doing great work in lots of other areas, too. Can you tell everybody where they can find it, learn more about you, Catherine, and also you know, get your book and your website and that type of stuff? Sure. So um, my website is under development. It's CatherineGigetti.com. Um, but the best way to find out what's going on with me at the moment is Facebook. So Facebook.com forward slash CatherineGigetti author, all one word. And I'll keep people posted about workshops and stuff. And they can ask me any questions. I actually love hearing from people, people asking me um, to help them with the techniques or to mm-hmm. even do something for them. So I'm happy to do that. I'm a little bit inundated at the moment, but please don't be put off. Contact me. Ask any questions. I'm always excited to contact oh, new people. I may take you up on that myself. Um, are you going to do any uh, workshops in New York? I'm going to work on my own first, but I might have a question or two for you. Okay, sure. Well, um, I'm hoping to. I've got some workshops coming up in North Carolina um, in the coming months, um, but I will be posting information about that. Stuff is coming in every day. I'm getting offers from everywhere. It's actually going awesome. kind of crazy at the moment. It's so exciting. But do stay on. I, I haven't been so uh, great on face on social media at the moment, but I will be getting back into that very, very soon. Fabulous. Well, listen, Catherine, it's a pleasure meeting you. And I, again, I'm a real big fan of your work, of Goddard's work. And I think you did a terrific job with this book. And I, I'm going to keep it. Uh, I've got it already. It's like rolled up. It's going in my jacket pocket when I get on the subway and stuff. And I keep referring to it. I really love it. So thank you. And thanks for being on thank Guys you so much, Radio. Robert. I had All a right. great time. Thank you. Me too. Thanks. Okay, everybody. Great. We're going to take a break and then we'll be back and wrap things up. The Guys Guy Radio. All right, we're back. Uh, it's 7.53. Um, just a quick wrap-up tonight. We're going to be back on Sunday night. We have another author called, uh, who has a book called The Power of Ten. Her name is Denise Alexander Pyle, and she's written a book about kind of a modern interpretation of how we can implement the tenets of the Ten Commandments. So that should be pretty cool. And again, what I'm doing on Guys Guys Radio, I'm bringing forth information. And uh, if, for those who are seeking, I know a lot of guys are seeking. They they want to be something besides their paycheck and their their job. And as a boomer, I know a lot of boomer guys who are who are dabbling. They know there's more. They want to know more. They're not sure what to do. And what I'm offering is a buffet of like, well, consider this, consider that, and pick the stuff that works for you. And it's the same thing as I do. And it even uh, it even goes to how I ask questions of my guests. I put myself in a position that I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to the radio and say, well, I would ask this. And that's what I do. So sometimes it comes out where there's a couple of thoughts and two questions in one, but I think we're keeping it real that way. And I, I do that for you, the audience. So um, I'm, I'm thinking of you, like what, what I would ask if I was in the audience and hopefully that's in the same realm of what you would ask about the uh, the guests and the, their 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 products and their books and uh, their message. So anyhow, I hope you enjoy it. We're back on Sunday. This is Guys Guys Radio. Your host Robert Manny. And remember, like I always like to say, guys guys finish first. Mm-hmm.